There is one kingdom with one king, and that's what we live for. And so the Bible encourages its church, its people, press on, persevere. Never does it say quit. It says give God glory, let God work, trust God. Welcome to Refuge Podcast, a weekly Bible study for young adults at Calvary Chapel, San Juan Capistrano. Tonight we're going to finish uh, finish our study through this epistle. So pretty exciting stuff. I'm excited. I don't know. <laughs> no, no, it's okay. All right. And this time it only took like eight months. So, so that's cool. First Corinthians chapter 16. Let's finish this thing. Come on. I don't know about you, but when I get close to the end of something, I just want it to be done. I just want to just just crush it. Let's get it over with. So not that it's going to be a five minute Bible study, but we're going to finish this book tonight. All right. Let us read. I'm actually going to read for you chapter one, verse nine, chapter one, verse nine. So, but we will be in chapter 16. Chapter one, verse nine says, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we're so thankful for a place that we can come and sing to you and worship you. Lord, that you hear us. And we're so thankful, God, that that we serve a God that loves to dwell among his people. Lord, that your ear is tilted towards us. Lord, that even the the cracks and, and bad notes that I sing, Lord, delight your heart. And so, Lord, we're so thankful for the gift of worship. We're thankful, God, that you speak to us through your word and you desire for us to know you. And so, Lord, as you reveal yourself, as you have in the past, spoken to our hearts through your word, we pray, God, that you would do it again tonight. Lord, would you be gracious? Would you be merciful? And would you pour out your Holy Spirit to teach us what it is to walk with you and to know you? And so, Lord, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, tonight we come to the end of this letter with Paul's final exhortation and encouragement. It started with the theme of together. That's been our theme throughout this study. And tonight we actually end with that theme as well. Chapter 15 had us ascending into the heavens, talking about the resurrection and the new body, the new heavenly body that we will receive. And with the opening verses of chapter 16, they have us crashing down to earth. Let me read to you verse 1. Now, concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. On the first day of the week, let each of you lay aside, uh, lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, or, or as he may prosper, that there be no collection when I come. Interesting contrast between this ascension into heaven, talking about the new heaven, the new earth. We talked about the the reconstruction or the rebuilding of of the new Jerusalem, the new earth. We're talking about new bodies in chapter 15. We're talking about how death is swallowed up in life. I mean, it just has us ascending into the heavenlies. And then Paul says, oh, by the way, make sure you tithe. (laughs) It like just kind of crashes us back down as we're like floating up into heaven. He's like, oh, no, no, hold on a second. Hold on a second. We need to firmly plant those feet on the ground. Alan Redpath said, a Christian is a person whose heart is in the heavens, but their feet are on the earth. 
And any glimpse into the future glory that we receive or that is given to us through God's word is to encourage present day growth in consecration and responsibility. And this chapter can seem anticlimactic, right? It seems like the end of movies is where everything kind of comes together and you're left weeping and, and as the credits roll, you're like, oh, that's amazing. I didn't know how it was going to happen, but it happened and they got married or whatever. And, and it just leaves you like wanting more. Where Paul comes to this place of like, we're all going to go to heaven and we're like, yeah. He's like, now hold on a second. We have some responsibilities. And everyone went, boo. You know, like <laughs> responsibility. There's a great song by MXPX, Responsibility. What's that? Responsibility, not quite yet. And I don't want to get into it, but that, the whole idea of responsibility is something that we don't necessarily love or, or you know, write on pillows. Like, I have responsibilities. And every morning you're like, that's right. I love it. Brings me such encouragement. And grandma cross-stitches it on, like, on something for you. And it's on your mug. Like, don't forget to you know, pay your bills. And, and, I, and all anyway, anyway. Anywho. This chapter can seem anticlimactic, but in fact, it is the summation of all the teaching of the Corinthian letter. It, it pulls everything together. Chapter one, like I read to you, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So because of that, we are called into partnership with one another as well. So because the pulse throughout the whole body of the church is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit flowing through the whole body of the church, it connects us to each other, but also globally. It doesn't just connect us locally here in this body of believers as we are one body all serving, but it connects us to something bigger that is that we have brothers and sisters all over this planet who we are connected as the body of Christ. In, it gives a, a great example of that as you read through this chapter. He mentions um, places like Galatia, Jerusalem, Macedonia, Ephesus. All of them were linked to Corinth. Like all of these are scattered all over different places. He says, this is part of who we are. This is our brothers and sisters in Christ, which ties into the theme of this book that Corinth needed to restore its broken fellowship with God and its broken relationship with each other. That's so much of what's going on is there's a broken relationship with God. There's an issue in what they believe. There's an issue in because of that belief, they live a certain way. And so Paul writes to correct that belief, to correct that behavior. And then that changes how we relate to one another. Does that make sense? As he comes to the close of this letter, he pans the camera out to bring the whole church into view, which brings us to our first point. Verses 1 through 3, or 1 through 4, Paul talks about how we are, number one, we, are we have a responsibility to others. We have a responsibility to others. On the first day of the week, he says, they would set aside a portion of their income. Also, we know it as tithing, right? Um, we often take the, the Old Testament picture of, of a tenth of what we earn or whatever, the New Testament doesn't set a, a amount for us to tithe. It doesn't say like thou shalt tithe 27.4% uh, of whatever you uh, bring in. But here's, here's what Paul is making the point here, is that giving is to be a part of the worship and the thanksgiving of the church. 
That giving is, is something that is a part of our worship and our gratitude unto the Lord. That's what it's, to, it's supposed to be about. Giving back to the Lord and tithing to the Lord of our finances and what's been allotted to us is something that is to be given in a way that is worshipful and grateful. And that's what it exemplifies. But also that giving is personal. Look what he says. Each one of you lay aside something. Paul's instruction was to personally and privately set something aside unto the Lord. There was no amount given, right? He says, so privately know that every week when you guys gather together, there's going to be some kind of, uh, of something that you set aside unto the Lord. Now, what that is, you privately go seek God and say, God, I want to give you this. Out of the abundance of, of God's gift to you, out of, out of your own heart of gratitude and thankfulness, you set aside what you can. God never calls you to be at a place where you are completely like, I'm giving everything to you. And God's like, you have bills, like you have to pay them. And I totally understand that. Like, that's what jobs are for. But often when we give out of what we don't have or out of what little we do have, the Bible often gives us examples of God blessing that. There's so many countless stories. And if I were to go through them all, we'd be here all night and I'd be stuck in verses one through four for the rest of the evening. And I've been told that I shouldn't do that. So we're going to move on. Look them up. There's a lot of them. But... The reason that Paul gives this like private setting aside and accumulation was because when he came, he wanted to avoid having to rally everyone and get them to give out of compulsion or emotion or someone working the crowd. He says, if you'll do this, then when I come, we don't have to take like this formal, like, all right, everybody, we got to give and here's why you should. And here, you know, A, B and C and, and putting all this together. Paul wanted to avoid any emotional draw, any kind of compulsion from, from someone's speech or someone kind of working the crowd and crying up here and like, you know, you wouldn't believe you, you need to give. He says, we're not going to do that. Because worship isn't about a compulsion from someone giving a speech. It's about giving from a place of worship and gratitude. Because you love Jesus. And Paul assumes that there should be a love for Jesus. And because you love Jesus, he's going to say, then, then give from that place. Romans 12, 13. You'll see it up here on the screen. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not Zach. Romans 12, 13. Write it down. It says, share with the saints who are in need. Practice hospitality. Now, throughout scripture, um, we are called as the church to be generous and hospitable. And in fact, when we went through the gifts of the Holy Spirit, hospitality is like a gift that God has given his church. It can be a common grace, but it, all can be, it also can be a supernatural hospitality, right? Like people can have this supernatural, like just gift of hospitality, like, and what Paul encourages us to do is to share. Now, I know your parents have taught you this since you were little, like, you need to share. But, but here's the thing, why don't we? It's not like a, a childhood thing of like, well, I, I, my, I had so many siblings and they took all my stuff. Forget all the like psychobabble stuff. Why don't we? Why are we naturally those that hoard our blessings. And I'm just gonna speak for myself. 
I am that kind of guy who goes on offer up and if, he's, if I see a deal, I'm gonna snatch it before anyone else can. It's a surfboard that I have, the exact replica. It's the same thing, but there it is and I want it. And I have to jump on it now because if someone else gets it, I miss the deal. Some of you are looking at me a little judgy right now. I'm just trying to be transparent, okay? What is that in us? It's called sin. Sin says that like I have to, if I could just guard everything that I have. The Bible teaches us that if you want to be blessed, then let go of your stuff. Like let go of the material. Be one who gives generously. And and it's so crazy is is Paul calls the church to do this and to act like this and to live like this. And, And often we as the church talk about the early church. Man, they were such sharers and givers and generous. Listen, that's an indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The same one in the book of Acts that fell upon that church that caused them to be hyper hospitable is the same one that we have. So what's the difference? I have no idea. But for some reason, we refuse to jump into the, into the waters of generosity for some reason. I think a lot of times that we doubt that God will bless in return. And we have promise after promise that, that if we will give back, if we will let go of those things, that God will bless. And it's not necessarily monetarily. And I'm not preaching on this because, like, you know, we need tithes or anything like that. But I want us to understand, and hopefully that's what Paul's heart is too, is like there's a responsibility that, that what we give to this church, listen, when you tithe to this church or whatever church you go to or wherever you, you know, give back with your time or whatever you tithe with, okay, know that that serves a greater purpose to those who are way far away from this place. Like, do you know that the ministry of this little tiny church here in San Juan Capistrano reaches all the way around to the very bottom of the earth? It's crazy through radio, through internet, through all that. Listen, that happens because you are a part of that. That's an extension and that's fruit to your account as you give. As you will will bless God and give from what you set aside, whatever that may be, however little or however much, whatever that is, listen, it extends because we have a responsibility to others. And and that's the point that Paul is making. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, it says, nope, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a obligated giver. No, God loves a cheerful giver. Listen, if we're giving from a place of like begrudgment unto the Lord, like, oh, every month, every week, whatever, the Lord would say, keep your stuff. Like, I don't want it. That's not what this is about. God's not in heaven like, I gotta make rent. <laughs> that's not at all. Like that, that's not what's happening. And he's like, come on. That's not the heart of God. If that's your heart of like, ugh, ugh, keep it. Don't do it. Because that's not worshipful, is it? The Lord loves a cheerful giver out of a place of gratitude, out of a place of, 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 of love for the Lord. That's what God loves is the heart. It's not the thing, it's the heart behind it. So no matter the, the quantity, right? My kids make me cards for my birthday, and, uh, and they made Lauren cards for her birthday this year, and all this stuff is really sweet, super cute. I didn't even tell them. Like, I woke up late, <laughs> and the kids had already made cards for mom. 
And it wasn't like I was like, listen up, tomorrow's mom's birthday. If you mess this up, you're out of here. Like, forget it. Like, you're done. You're sleeping under the trampoline. Instead of on top where you normally sleep. No, I'm just kidding. Didn't say anything like that. It's not like they didn't go to the store and buy a card. What they did is they found paper in the house. They folded it up. They wrote some stuff on it. They circled hearts. They drew names. And they're like, here, mom. And no doubt, like that, that, uh, uh, like it, <laughs> it, it warms your heart so much. And you're like, that is so sweet. I know that you did it in five minutes, but it doesn't even matter because the heart was behind it. It's not the thing. It's like a horrible drawing. It, it's, it's terribly done. It's horribly folded. But you're like, this was from their heart. And they wrote it in it with really bad penmanship or whatever. And they're like, I love you. And you're like, ah, I'm saving this forever. That's how it is with the heart of God. He doesn't care what it is. He cares the heart behind it. And so Paul says when, when he gives these instructions, he said, understand that this is not just, this isn't about you, this is about others. He's talking about the, the church in Jerusalem that was so poor. I mean, they had been so worked by, by the government and so messed up and persecuted. And he says, this collection that we're going to take is going to go to them. Like they need food, they need clothes, they need, they have needs. And so that's why we're pulling this together. And he says, so don't give out of this place of like compulsion or me working the crowd. Give as you see fit because understand who it's going to. This is, it's our body. It's going to affect those who are your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's who it's going to. It's going to bless them. In verses seven through nine, as we move forward, he says, and when I come, whoever I approve, then verse three, approved by your letters, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem. But if it is fitting that I go also, they will go with me. Now I will come to you when I come, when I pass through Macedonia, for I am passing through Macedonia. And it may be that I will remain or even spend the winter with you, that you may send me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not wish to see you now on the way, but I hope to stay a while with you if the Lord permits. Now, here is the crazy theological thing about this, this little portion. Listen up. These are Paul's travel plans. And that's it. So, verse <laughs> 7, <laughs> moving on, okay? Verse 8, he says, But I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a great and effective door has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Paul gives some of his travel plans, but he gives some insight into the ministry into the city of Ephesus, which is really fascinating. He rejoices. Notice he rejoices in the fact, in the assurance that the door is open, right? There is an effective open door. And so I'm going to do ministry there. But the very next sentence is really interesting. And there are many adversaries. The next sentence would suggest otherwise. Like as he's rejoicing that the door is open, the, the, the next sentence would kind of be like, eh, I don't know if you should be rejoicing because of what's coming. He doesn't say the door is open, but because of the adversity, I should just quit. Sometimes we gauge open door, closed door. We talk about God's will for our life. We talk about it in the, in the sense of like open door or closed door. And sometimes the most difficult thing of an open door is, is taking that understanding that, yes, the door is open, but there's pushback. So is that an open door or is it closed? Because I'm experiencing difficulty in the midst of it. So you're trying to discern whether or not is this an open door or is this a closed door? 
right? Has it ever happened to you? Some of you are shaking your head. We talked about it in Proverbs. We went through the book of Proverbs of God's will, how to discover it, how to walk with God, how to make wise choices. And you can go back and listen to that if you want to, but, and you don't have to, but he here doesn't say the door is open, but because of the adversity, I'm just going to quit. But rather because of the pushback and the difficulty, there is a more, there is more reason to stay. Interesting. Since the, the door's open, but because of the adversity in it, it's better that I stay. I'm not moving. This is seen throughout the story of Scripture. Throughout the narrative of Scripture, from Genesis to the end, often God's servants, although there is an open door, there is adversity on the other side of it. The difficulty was a part of the opportunity. Despite the outlook, God still broke through. All glory be to God. And that's the the story of this. But rather, because of the pushback, he says, there's more of a reason for me to stay. I realize there's an effective door, there's an open door, but that doesn't mean that it's going to be difficult or isn't going to be difficult. And this is seen throughout the story of Scripture. We sometimes talk about God's open doors without realizing what's involved in them. But let's look at what was going on in Ephesus, okay? To get like a a little bit more of an understanding of why this was difficult. In Acts chapter 16, verse six, Paul was forbidden by the Holy Spirit. He's forbidden. He was forbidden by the Holy Spirit to go to Asia. Like, he's like, it's my mission, it's my goal, it's my dream. If you've ever said that, like, this is my dream. And the Holy Spirit says, no, it's not your dream. (laughs) Don't live your dreams. Um, Anyway, um, he says, this is not your dream. Like, no, you're not going to Asia. And they tried and they're like, the door is closed. Like, we're just not going. The door was closed because God was preparing the soil before the seed would be sown. There was an opportunity. Hey, Kyle. There was an opportunity. Like, God is working behind the scenes. So often when God says no, it's not because at some point you won't end up there. It's because God is preparing something for you. Like God's preparing the soil before you and it's not ready yet, right? You guys remember the, it's a little like wrong season, but if you, do you remember the movie, The Christmas Story? Just rich with theological truths. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But you remember the part where the dad always goes in and starts picking at the turkey? Remember he always eats it before it's fully cooked and the mom's like, you're gonna get worms. And he's like, ah, and he eats it anyway. A lot of times that's how we are with the Lord. Like God's like, it's not ready yet. And you're like, yeah, whatever. And you're like, he's like, you're going to get worms. <laughs> like you're, it's going to make you, it's not ready. Like if you'll just wait and be patient. How many of you love to wait? Like you go to Disneyland, you're like, I can't wait to just wait in the line. It's my favorite part. I don't care about the rides. I get to the end. Like, <laughs> I get to like the ride and I just step through and I'm like, woo, that was amazing. As you finish your churro. No, you, you wait knowing that what's at the end of that wait. No one just does it for fun. Waiting is incredibly annoying. But God was preparing that place for the Apostle Paul. In fact, if you look at Acts chapter 18, Apollos would be in Ephesus and he would preach, but his preaching was kind of weird. And so Aquila and Priscilla take him aside and they disciple him. They disciple him. And then his preaching becomes even more powerful. It's where people are being convinced of the gospel. So as God is preparing Ephesus, he was also preparing Paul. And it closes, Acts chapter 18 closes that chapter saying he mightily convinced the Jews, showing by the scripture that Jesus was Christ. 
Like God is working, but he's working through someone else at the moment. And God is preparing the ground that was, that was there. And as God is preparing Ephesus, he's also preparing the apostle Paul. God would send Paul through a gauntlet of difficulty and trial. Why? Why would God allow Paul to go through these things? To instill iron into his bones. Like he's going to need toughness for what's ahead of him. Between this time of going to Ephesus and here in Corinth, he was imprisoned in Philippi and beaten with sticks. Like kind of a big deal. Um, that probably would have, and, and the way that it came about was just like, he was getting kicked out of every city, run out of every place because of the Jews. And so he comes to the city of Philippi and there are no Jews. There is no synagogue. And he's like, yes. And this lady down by the river named Lydia gets saved. And he's like, this is awesome. And they're like preaching the gospel. And they cast out a demon and any, it's a long story, but he ends up in jail. They beat him. And there he is, Paul and Silas there in, the, in prison. And at midnight, they just begin to worship God. Because what else can you do when you've been beaten with sticks and imprisoned? Like, he's just, and I, lo I love that story. People always like to say, like, their time had passed, okay? It's not like he got beat with sticks, thrown into prison. And he's like, let's praise. <laughs> time had passed in which he's dealing with, like, God, why? Don't you think? It says at midnight. So there's, there's a time frame at which he's dealing with, like, God, I thought we were in your will. Like, we did what you said. You said no to Asia, and here we are in Philippi. We're getting our butts kicked again. I don't understand. I don't understand. But still, God, your ways are higher than mine, and so I'll praise you. And as he worships, it says that, that the doors were open, and he was freed. And, and before they ran out, which they didn't, actually, there was a, a Roman soldier who was going to fall on his sword and commit suicide because he, he thought he lost all his prisoners. And Paul says, stop. Like, we're still all here. And he preaches the gospel to him. The guy gets saved. And listen, we have the book of Philippians because of Lydia and a jailer who got saved and they became the church. Pretty crazy story. So that happens, okay? And then he's like, woo, God's so good. God's so good. God is so good. He's in our pain, he's in our suffering. God's working. Then he goes to Thessalonica and there's like this crazy uproar and he just almost gets killed again. This just happens. Like, you didn't want to be Paul's best friend. What are you doing this week? I'm going to Thessalonica. Like, okay, have fun. Let me know if you get thrown in jail again because um, it's pretty sure, yeah, it's going to happen. But all these experiences, listen, were needed to put heavenly resistance and spiritual courage into him. Now, Paul, a prepared man, in Ephesus, a prepared city, what would it be like, right? They're both prepared. Like, here it comes. Revival, overwhelming blessing that city would be a fight from beginning to end. Like, insanely difficult. Because let's look at the landscape for a minute. I know I'm like, just stick with me. This city was huge. It was huge. It had a, had a large system of organized idolatry centered around the worship of Diana. They would sell statues and trinkets of her that were thought to protect them from evil. Okay, so there's, not only is there idolatry, but there's a, um, a market that's also a part of that. So there's a very lucrative business that's connected to idolatry. So there's money involved with religion and power. That's a big deal. That's a big stronghold. Um, there were superstitious Jews who practiced magic and the casting out of demons. 
People were so superstitious that they would go to these magicians for advice, like they would pay them to, to give them advice about their life. So what kind of impact would Paul be able to make to stem the tide of sin in a city like this? What can be done to change habits of people spiritually, morally, and socially to get them to think about God? Like, how, how's this going to happen? And this is why Paul says an effective door is open, but there are, there's so much adversity. And when you read that and you understand that, you go, this is God's open door? I don't know about you, but that's how I read it. The effective open door. This is the open door? I don't think so. Paul, you have misread the will of God. Try somewhere else. You know, like, no, he says, this is God's will. Listen, and I'm sorry if I say listen too much, but here's the thing. <laughs> we live in a quick culture. I live in a quick culture. It is so much easier to quit than it is to push through and work hard. And, and so often, I think now there's like a, a preaching towards this. There's evangelism towards this. And, and what I mean by evangelism is, is everyone is preaching something and what is, is immediately out of their mouth, that's what you know what they're preaching. That's what you know they're an evangelist for. There's like essential oil evangelists, there's CrossFit evangelists, there's uh, plant-based evangelists, um, there's uh, keto evangelists, right? They're like, man, I've just been feeling tired lately. You know what you should try? Keto, have you tried it? You heard of it? <laughs> Only meat, it's like the best diet ever. Yeah, eat chocolate and ice cream and get thin. <laughs> anyway, so, so that, that's what I'm saying. There are preachers towards quit culture. Is it hard? Is it difficult? Quit. Does it, does it seem like it's just an arduous thing every time you come? Every time, it's probably a closed door. You should just quit and stop. Who does that sound like? Is that how Jesus was? Like, did Jesus come to a place of hardship and he's like, you know what? I'm done. I quit. Did Jesus ever come to a place of like weeping with blood because of what was ahead of him and go, you know what? I quit. Or he say, God, not my will, but yours be done. Quitting does not mirror our Savior. I'm not saying that if you quit a job, you're going to hell. Okay? That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying that if you do not develop some kind of heavenly resistance in your life, you will quit Christianity. Because it's hard. Like, life is hard. Right? Bad stuff happens. People fail you. People misrepresent God. Accidents happen. Finances crash. Markets go down. Every system in our world that we've put hope in is failing. Education, Hollywood, I mean, you name it, it's all crashing. It's all falling apart. Government falling apart. Everything that we placed our hope in as this will bring utopian society, it's all falling apart. Listen, because that is the world we live in. There is one kingdom with one king, and that's what we live for. And so the Bible encourages its church, its people, press on, persevere. Never does it say quit. It says give God glory, let God work, trust God. Right? It, it doesn't say... <clears throat> 
it's, uh, I remember playing baseball as a kid and my dad forced me to keep on playing and I hated every second of it. It was July. Who wants to play baseball in July? Except the pros who get paid millions. I was seven, I don't wanna play. He's like, you made a commitment. I'm seven. <laughs> you said you'd be there, so you're gonna be there. And I'm like, <laughs> I would cry. Every time we'd take me to practice, I would cry and weep as he'd kick me out of the car and be like, go, <laughs> go. And I'm like crying, looking back, and he's like, go. And he would drive away. I, for years, was like, that is so jacked up. Obviously, I'm 35. I remember it, okay? I've been harboring this for 30, so, a long time. I can't even do the math, okay? But here's what he was, he was helping me to learn. If you commit to something, you're going to follow through with that. Because we have a responsibility, not just to ourselves. We have a responsibility to others, don't we? Because the church, the body of Christ, it's not just about you. It's not just about me. It's about each other. And we're seeing a lot of people, man. We're seeing a lot of high-profile Christians tweeting, I'm not a Christian anymore. God is so good to his servant that he allowed Paul to go through the stuff that he went through so that iron could be put into his bones. This guy didn't quit. He went all the way to death preaching the goodness of God. Like, that's, not, that's, that's what the Bible teaches us. Now, don't get me wrong. Sometimes you gotta quit jobs and things like that and move and all that. I, that's not what I'm saying, okay? I hope, hopefully I'm encouraging you right now. Don't quit your Christian walk. Doesn't matter how bad you have screwed up. Don't quit on your walk with God because Jesus hasn't quit on you. Like went all the way to the cross so that you can have grace. Don't quit because Jesus doesn't quit. Right? That, that's the, hopefully what you're getting at. <laughs> so, this was God's open door. Were people eager to hear the gospel? Not at all. Heathenism, idolatry, superstition, demon possession, religious prejudice, it ran the city. But Paul looked at it and said, we can't fail. Like, we can't fail. He saw all these things and like, we can't, there's no way we could possibly fail because of who's on our team. This is an open door. But how did this affect the culture? If you look at the culture of, of Ephesus and read the story of, of, of it in the book of Acts, the Apostle Paul, what he did and how he affected the culture was that for two years, he taught the word of God every single day. Just taught the word of God every day. For two years, both Jews and Greeks, it says all who dwelt in Asia heard about Jesus for two years. Paul's teaching and ministry affected the silversmith statue business. Like people were getting saved so rapidly that their market was crashing because no one was buying statues anymore. The magicians came to Paul to see how he was healing people, and then they burned their books of magic in the town square. The Jews started using the name of Jesus to cast out demons, and the demons said, Jesus we know, Paul we know, we don't know you. And they beat the trash out of him. It says they tore their clothes off and ran out of the house naked. Like, anyway. <laughs> this is crazy stories, dude. If the Bible was a movie, 
like rated R all the way. I don't think I would let my kids see it. I'm like, let's watch this movie about Jesus. And then people are like, ah! <laughs> beat up by demons. <laughs> Sounds like a crazy zombie movie, which I love. All right. But how did Paul have victory while <laughs> enduring such adversity? Romans 8.37, Paul said, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Paul was living in a daily union with the Lord who loved him. So if nothing could separate him from the love of God in Christ, then nothing could interrupt his supplies of the Lord's strength and power. He's like, the Lord loves me. Like, I'm more than a conqueror in Christ. Why? Because he loves me. So I win every time. Like, we can't fail because God's love is so powerful and because God's love is so good and because God loves me so much, I will never run out of the supply of God's strength and God's power because he loves me. So verse 13, okay, for a great and effective door. Verse 10, and if Timothy comes, see that he may be with you without fear for he does the work of the Lord as I do also. Therefore, let no one despise him, but send him on his journey in peace, that he may come to me, for I am waiting for him with the brethren. Seems like Timothy got, got despised, like, a lot. Wherever he went, Paul had to write to the, like, the Corinthian church, like, don't despise this guy. He even wrote to Timothy, like, let no one despise you. Sounds like he had a rough rap as, like, a kid coming to a church, and he's like, all right, guys, open your Bibles. <laughs> I'm Tim, and uh, I know I'm young, but... <laughs> My grandmother loves me, and I live with my mom, and whatever. Just kind of like this dorky little dude, and everyone's like, okay, what are you going to teach me, fool? So, seems like he got jacked wherever he went. Now, concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to come to you with the brethren, but he was quite unwilling to come at this time. However, he will come when he has convenient time. And the theological aspect of this is that stuff happens, you know? Sometimes you got, you know, responsibilities. So, verse 13, okay? Watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong. Let all that you do be done with love. Now, that, that phrase, be strong, is actually, it can be translated, act like a man. <laughs> so rad. <laughs> now, this is written to men and women. So he's not like, hey, <laughs> act like a man and act like a woman. He says, act like a man, even to the women. And we'll explain what that means. This is not like... This is not sexist. This is not like everyone just start lifting weights and whatever. (laughs) Here's what he means. We're going to start with just this word watch. And the Greek is the word Gregorio. Um, I had a friend, Greg, and we always called him Gregorio. Um, But it means to give strict attention to. So the Apostle Paul is encouraging the church, hey, keep your eyes open. Like, watch. Because there's a real devil And there's nothing the devil would love more than to derail the church, and specifically you, right? He would love to see your life destroyed and ruined. The word literally means to be alert, to be vigilant. The enemy is always at hand, he's saying. The fight is always coming. Whether you're in fellowship or you're by yourself, man, the devil's going to come. And he comes in different ways. But one of the ways that he disguises himself, I believe, is through lies, the father of lies wages war on us through lies. That's how, that's how he works. He lies to you. He doesn't wage war on you by you having a bad day at work and like, you know, you get a flat tire and you're like, oh, it's the devil. I knew it. 
Although that happens, or you're like, I'm sick, it's because of the devil, or, or this, it's, and that stuff does happen. Like a real hand of spiritual warfare can bring sickness, can just, but also, hey, stuff happens. If you're like, I locked my keys in the car, the devil, I knew it, <laughs> distracted me when I was getting out of my car, dirty dog, or whatever. Ruin my day. Well, the devil does see opportunity in that. So if you're like losing it over the fact that you burnt your toast, he's like, they're already on edge. Like, here we go. You know why you burnt your toast? Because God doesn't love you. That's why. And you're like, that's outlandish. He's like, yeah, it is. But is it true? Maybe. And then you start creating these false realities that you begin to live in, in your own mind. And you're like, what in the world? And I think the way that it stinks the most is that he lies to you in your own voice. So when you hear it, it sounds like you. And you're like, oh my goodness, I can't believe that's who I am. And this is it's the devil. Like, dude, the, the Lord doesn't say that about you. The devil does. And he's going to try and do that. So watch, like, have your wits about you. Sometimes we can get just so frazzled that a moment of clarity can be like, okay, hold on, hold on. Something's happening here. The devil's getting in. I remember going to family camp as a kid. Um, sorry, I'm telling all those stories. But I remember uh, we had this big blue 1991 Chevy van that someone gave our family. I have four older brothers, three older brothers. So four of us, there we go, that's correct. So I have, uh, and we would all go to this family camp up in uh, like Arrowhead or whatever, Twin Peaks. And we'd be there for a week. And it was a glorious time. We'd draw closer as a family and my brothers would beat me up and all this stuff. As we would come down the hill and we'd be entering like the flat part, right? You're, we're coming off the mountain. We're heading into that flat part. If you come down Waterman Avenue there in, in the mountains. Um, and my dad would always point to this tree, like bush on the side of the freeway. And he's like, roll the windows up. And my dad's this big, very large, uh, heavy bearded man. And he would just roll. And we, ah! so you're closing the windows and everything. And then he goes, we're like, what? He's like, we don't want the devil to get in. And everyone's like, what? What are you talking about? It's like, he lives behind that bush. And we're like, what are you talking about? And no joke, we would come off this mountaintop experience, drawing closer to the family. We hit the bottom of the hill and we'd all start fighting and hating each other. And my dad was just giving us a very real representation of the fact that the devil's gonna jump in the car with us and try and mess up what God had done that whole week or that weekend. And to this day, I'm still scared of that bush. <laughs> Because the devil lives there. <laughs> but it, the point was, it's like, we need to be on guard. Like, watch. Watch. Understand that we don't fight against flesh and blood. We fight against principalities and powers. Like, that's the enemy. Each other, hey, you're not the enemy. I'm not the enemy. The devil's the enemy. And he'd love to turn us on each other and just watch us devour each other. That's what he loves to do. So, the second word he says is stand fast means to have mature stability and act like a man. It's an exhortation to courageous manliness, which I love. It's a fantastic exhortation. What Paul is encouraging all of us to do is to leave emotion aside and how we feel and to lead because we know what the right thing to do is. Like, do the right thing, he's saying. Lead and be vigilant, be sober-minded, be alert, watch, stand fast. Don't sway with the tide. Hold your ground. Stick to the word. Don't 
sway because it's, that's what's been happening. Every little wave of doctrine was coming in. The people were getting messed up and tweaked and they're like, we're just gonna be super loving and so we don't really say sin is sin. We're just gonna love people into the kingdom. We don't call sin what it is. It's death and all of that. And then they sway to the other side, which is total legalistic and they were just kind of back and forth. And he's like, stand fast in the faith. Act like a man. Stop it. Lead with maturity. Be a man. Like, my. My brothers would always punch me in the arm. And if I would start to cry, they'd be like, be a man. Suck it up. Doesn't mean that crying is like not manly. But, but here's what holds it all together. He says, let all that you do be done with love. So he, he says to lead with this maturity, to act like, like, like we're supposed to, to stand with courage. It's an exhortation to courageous manliness because they were at a place where mature leadership was needed. In verse 14, however, he says, even manliness needs to be balanced with love. Otherwise, leadership becomes dictatorship. Right? Just like chapter 12, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, chapter 13 does not cancel that out. It completes it, right? Without love, and we're using the gifts without love, man, we are clanging brass and just a noisy symbol. We're obnoxious. He says here, leadership without love involved is just straight up wrong. So this encouragement to stand in this place and to be a leader and to be mature and all of that, he says it has to be peppered and consumed with love because we're not called to lord over each other. We're called to lead and to lead people to Jesus. And we're gonna read the last part and we'll be done. I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanus that is the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the ministry of the saints, that you also submit to such and to everyone who works and labors with us. I'm glad about the coming of Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaidatus. For what was lacking on your part, they supplied, for they refreshed my spirit and yours, therefore acknowledge such men. The churches of Asia greet you, Aquila and Priscilla greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that is in their house. All the brethren greet you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. And everybody said, amen. <laughs> Just kidding. The solution with my own hand, or this salutation with my own hand, Paul's. If anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. O Lord, come. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. And that is the end of the book of 1 Corinthians. We did it. You did it. Look at you. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we're very thankful, God, for your word and for this book of, of Corinthians. Lord, we thank you for this letter. Um, and just as its encouragement to, to make sure that we have a right relationship with you. And as we have a right relationship with you, we're thankful, God, that you take care of all of our other relationships. And so, Lord, uh, May we not allow this letter to be too distant from, from us, Lord, as written to an ancient people. But Lord, you want this to affect who we are right now and to speak to our hearts right now and, and to be an example for our church and, and for us personally. And so, Lord, we want to take these things to heart. God, I pray that uh, we would watch and stand fast to act with maturity 
because of the days that we're living in. And so, Lord, we love you. We thank you. We pray, Lord, that you would keep us and guard us from being swayed by the culture and the tide of it. And, Lord, to understand, just like the Apostle Paul, completely empowered by the Holy Spirit, changed a culture because he taught your word and stood upon your word. And so, Lord, we want to take that example to heart. So, Lord, we want to keep your word at the center of who we are. This is the foundation for our life. It's, it's the structure of our life. It's, Lord, your word says what it says because you mean what you say. And we're thankful, God, that we can rest upon you and trust in you. So, Lord, we pray as we worship you, as we close and sing, and, Lord, we pray that you'd minister to hearts and in a way that only you can. God, we thank you that you are a God of, of, of the nations. But Lord, you are also such a personal God to us and you, you hear us personally and you want to minister to us personally. And so God, we pray that you would do that as we sing. In Jesus' name, amen.